Section 2 of Food Preparedness by Dr. Albert Sy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 2. Modern Theories of Diet, Classification of Foods. Let us now consider briefly some of the elements that make for personal preparedness. First, one should know something about modern theories of diet. Many excellent books exist on this and related subjects, and can be found in almost any modern library. Particularly good is A. Bryce's Modern Theory of Diet, and his smaller work on Dietetics. By spending as much time on one of these books as is required to read an ordinary novel or best-seller, one would get much valuable information, information which every well-informed person should have, and which has not only an educational, but a monetary value. The nutritive requirements of the body must be known before the nutritive values of different foods can have a real meaning. But first of all, a knowledge of the chemistry of foods is necessary. I will not attempt to define the term food. One who knows anything at all about foods knows what meaning is to be conveyed by this term. We all know that it is the food we eat which makes us grow and gives us energy or ability to sustain our bodily functions and do work. Scientists are practically agreed on classifying foods as follows. First, protein foods. These have as their principal chemical constituent the element nitrogen in such a form as to be readily assimilated and used by the body. These protein foods are absolutely essential for the building up and repairing of our body. Without them, there would be no development, and the animal would soon perish. These foods are sometimes called the nitrogenous foods. As examples of this class of foodstuffs, we have the white of an egg, which is very nearly pure protein, containing about 86% of water. Other proteins are the lean part of all meats and fish, the gluten in wheat, other grains also contain proteins, the casein in milk and cheese. Many other foods contain proteins. Some of the protein foods are cheese, 26%, peanuts, 26%, beans, 23%, meats, 19%, fish, 17%, eggs, 15%, wheat, 12%, oats, 12%, corn, 10%, bread 9%, rice 8%. A brief study of these percentages will indicate how substitution might be made. Cheese, beans, or even bread might at times be used partly or wholly in place of meat. Second, another important class of foods consists largely or entirely of what chemists call carbohydrates. The various sugars and starches are representatives of this class. Pure carbohydrates, such as the sugars and starches, do not contain nitrogen, and can therefore not be substituted for proteins. They are called the heat and energy-producing foods. The important foods of this class and their percentage of sugar or starch are cane and beet sugar, over 99%, hard candies, 96%, honey, 81%, jelly, 78%, raisins 76%, rice 76%, wheat 74%, corn 73%, oats 70%, molasses 68%, beans 60%, bread 53%, bananas 22%, grapes 19%, 
potatoes 18 per cent, apples 14 per cent. Third, the third important class of foods is known as fats. Lard, olive, and peanut oils are pure fats. They contain no nitrogen and will not do the work of protein foods. The function of the fats in metabolism is similar to that of the carbohydrates, namely to supply heat and energy. The fatty foods with a high percentage of fat are as follows. Lard, olive, and peanut oils, 100%. Butter, 83%. Bacon, 67%. Walnuts, 63%. Peanuts, 39%. Cheese, 34%. Cream, 19% meat 18%, eggs 11%. These three classes of food principles alone are not sufficient to produce growth and energy in the human body. A small amount of a number of inorganic substances, called salts, is necessary. These salts are sometimes referred to as mineral matter. The chemist often uses the term ash and has reference to the residue after burning a food. Foods naturally contain the necessary amount of mineral matter or salts. The addition of common table salt to our foods is not necessary unless it makes them more palatable. Water, of course, is necessary in our diet, and it plays a much more important part than is generally supposed or understood. Most foods contain water, and although some people seem to get along with practically no water other than what is contained in the solid foods they eat, most of us add water to our diet, either as water or beverages that are largely water, such as tea, coffee, milk, or cocoa. The percentage of water is usually high in vegetable foods. Celery contains 95% water, milk 87%, oysters 86%, apples 85%, fish 80%, potatoes 78%, eggs 74%, meat 62%, bread 35%, cheese 34%, honey 18%, butter 13%, lard, olive oil, peanut oil, and sugar contain no water. One often hears the statement that people do not drink enough water. This is no doubt true. I cannot let the opportunity pass without calling attention to the old but erroneous notion that water should be drunk between meals, not during meals. This idea that water at mealtime interferes with the digestive process is still quite prevalent, even among physicians. Newspaper and magazine food experts almost invariably tell us not to drink with meals. Let it be stated most emphatically that drinking water with our meals is not a harmful or undesirable practice, but is a decidedly beneficial one. This has been proved repeatedly by rigid scientific experiments. It is now known that water, and fluids generally, stimulate the secretion and flow of gastric juice. Water also materially aids and hastens the processes of digestion and assimilation. It is physiologically correct to start a meal by drinking water or eating soup. It has been proved that a cocktail or other high-alcoholic drink at the beginning of a meal interferes with digestion. Nearly all foods contain more or less indigestible matter, which is classed under the term crude fiber. Although it is indigestible and does not take any part in metabolic processes directly, it serves an important purpose, 
namely to increase intestinal peristalsis which in turn aids in the absorption of food and elimination of waste matter vegetables fruits and grains contain considerable crude fiber and partly for this reason these foods are valuable and should be included in our daily diet list our objection to refined foods is that frequently they contain no crude fiber until recently the comparison of foods has been studied with reference to their content of protein carbohydrate fat mineral matter water and crude fiber during the last few years however it has been discovered that normal metabolism can be maintained only when in addition to the above-mentioned constituents our foods contain a certain amount of substances called vitamins the exact chemical nature of vitamins is still unknown but there is no doubt that a diet which is deficient in these substances produces serious nutritional disturbances diseases such as beriberi and pellagra are called deficiency diseases and it is believed are due to the lack of vitamins in the diet a fairly well mixed diet particularly one which includes some raw foods and is not largely made up of refined foods contains enough vitamins for maintaining normal metabolism end of section 2